0: I think stories are super important. I use them in my public speaking and in my teaching as, you know, a way to get people to imagine and be more interested in a theoretical idea through some kind of little bits of narrative, you know, bits like comedians call it bits. It's like a short piece of content that is developed and has different parts to it. And that's a bit. I like bits. many things have that arc you know every sound has an arc it has this entry and then it builds energy and it sustains and decays when you edit sound you see all those little jags like everyone is like the arc of a story it's energy energy being built up and released <laughs>
1: lupton believes that design tells stories that touch people's minds and bodies she asks how a song tastes and how designers engage the senses to create richer and more inclusive experiences in this episode ellen talks about the tyranny of visual perception the ultimate self served convenience store and why designers should be thinking about ethics in everything they do
0: like a lot of people I was an artist in high school and I was the arty girl and took all the art classes and we had a class called commercial art where we made, you know, posters for the school play. And I really wasn't good at it. You know, I made my own fonts which were terrible and you know, it was really quite bad, but I was intrigued. We didn't have any training and this was high school. I had some exposure to you know a tiny bit of knowledge there was an article that came out in the Village Voice I think in 1978 about Helvetica and how they put Helvetica on the garbage trucks in New York and like that was really impressive to me like definitely a a moment you know I started changing my handwriting to have like Helvetica style a's but then I went to art school at Cooper Union and there's where I heard the word typography. And that was the turning point of like, oh, this is a thing. This is a discipline. And it was, it was why it was like the lights went on. The the big thing for me was that it was language, that typography was writing made visible. And I, you know, my family is all like English teachers and, you know, people that are really into the word. And I be I had become the picture person and typography like brought those two things together and was you know unbelievable
1: what was it about that relationship do you think between the written word the word as non-visual and the word as visual like what was the connection for you
0: well it was like that that contradiction or that merging i mean this was when i was in art school in the early 80s and this was like the height of post-structuralism and people reading Foucault and Barth and Derrida and all this idea that media was full of politics and that the things that we look at all have a subtext and that design, you know, architecture was a system of discipline. You know, all those ideas were at their height of influence. And so for me to kind of like... Drink from that pond, from that fountain of crazy, you know, critical thinking, and add it to the tools themselves of visual communication. It was intoxicating.
1: You talk about, you know, the senses and how you can see with your ears and design beyond vision and these sorts of things. Like, where did that come from?
0: <laughs> I got interested in storytelling. I took some classes in creative writing to sort of learn the sort of theory of what what a story is. And one of the things they tell you in creative writing class is you have to have sensory detail. The whole way we've been taught design is this emphasis on the eye, like the tyranny of visual perception at the expense of everything else. You know, you have to create alternate channels for people to experience uh, when you o- open up to being an inclusive designer. And the graphic designers have excluded everything except the visual. And um, it's been really exciting to look past that. The ADA sets the kind of minimum of what you need to do to create accessible architecture and media. But it doesn't ensure that you do it in a way that actually makes any sense for users. So, you know, there's a law that you have to put braille on all your bathroom signs and room number signs. But nobody tells you that you have to put the sign in a place where someone could find it. Mm -hmm. So people just check off this box of, oh, yeah, I followed the regulation, whatever, I put this braille on the sign. But there's not a real interest in how does a non-sighted person find their way around your building. And that requires, you know, a much richer effort. And in museums, which are, you know, visual places that worship looking at things, to create an experience for people that don't see is a really interesting challenge. And a lot of museums are working on it and and trying to make museums, not just someone can get in the door, but when they get there, are they welcome? Is there something to do? Is there an experience that's worth the effort of getting there?
1: So in some ways, all this points to the broader idea of experience design. So mm-hmm. thinking about a holistic experience as opposed to one channel of an experience. And so could you just talk a bit about your own perspective on experience design as a subject? And
0: Yeah. So the, 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 word, the phrase experience economy was invented around 1999 by two business guys who wrote this business book called The Experience Economy. And they took This thing that was in the air and really said we were in this new age where what we're buying is not products or goods, but experiences. And one of the distinguishing features of an experience is that it is sensory. Another distinguishing feature is that it takes place over time. It has a narrative component. This idea of the story and the story as an embodied sensory experience and that a book or a poster, you don't just take it in all at once. It is temporal, that all design is temporal, whether it is a single artifact or it's a theme park.
1: Do you think that that idea of, of sort of a temporal storytelling, immersive experience is in conflict with the rise of digital and, you know, this narrowing of experience or not?
0: No, I think it's absolutely connected to it because digital is all about human interaction and unfolding something through experiencing it. You know, the user having this time-based unpacking of whatever it is.
1: This episode of First Things First is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify is an e-commerce platform that makes it easy for anybody to build an online shop. No design experience required. Visit media.frontier.is forward slash first things first to get started and join over 600,000 businesses now powered by Shopify. Maybe building on the idea of experience design, focusing on design as a discipline, how does it actually inform better experiences? What does a designer do that a non-designer maybe is not as inclined to do if they're thinking about designing experiences? Like, What is it about design?
0: Well, designers really think about the user and what will their path be? What will they encounter? What will they feel? What will they want what will be satisfying where is the moment of revelation whereas you know someone who doesn't have that mindset might just be thinking about the mechanics of getting something done and that ability to to think through what is the temporal and spatial encounter going to be
1: All kinds of different design obviously afford very different forms of storytelling, whether it's full experiential or in in a book or in a podcast or in a product. And so are there maybe a couple of examples that you found are most successful that have really told a story that transcends the experience itself?
0: In the U.S., we have this store called the Super Wawa. And there's a convenience store, and it's shaped like a big octagon. The theme is like about individuality that everything is self-serve there's like a little computer and you type in your sandwich thing and there's like a, a hot dog vending thing where you get to choose your own hot dog and like everywhere you go is this celebration of the individual hero and so I just love looking at you know these environments and to realize that yes designers really thought that through they really thought like People want to go here and they want to serve themselves. And that is the experience. That's the essence of going to that place where you go to a fancy restaurant and it's all about being served. And there's a whole ritual and a kind of ridiculous, you know, pulling the chair out for you and putting the napkin on your lap like you're some kind of infant or someone in a hospital. But there's a ritual of like care and service And then in another setting, the ritual is reversed to be all about not needing any help. And it's all you getting your stuff. Fine dining has a very fixed arc. But even a convenience store, they are trying to route you around to expose you to the donut section. And uh, so that was interesting to, to think about that as a type of story where you really are experiencing something over time that is very controlled mm-hmm. i think is one of the fundamental ethical questions behind every design project is how much freedom are you offering your user versus control And sometimes we really want to control the delivery of the content. And think about a film, you know, and how the person is trapped in a chair and for, you know, 90 minutes, here's this completely controlled experience versus flipping through a magazine. And that those are two different paradigms of what design is, the linear and the nonlinear.
1: To learn more about Ellen, follow her at ellenlupton on Instagram and visit ellenlupton.com. First Things First is produced by Max Cotter. Frontier Media is a part of Frontier, a design office based in Toronto, Canada. We believe that design is more than visual. It's a process of exploration, discovery, sketching, prototyping, iteration, and refinement. That process can help create a better world. Our mission is to help others understand how that goal can be accomplished. To do this, we use design to create better and more purposeful products. We publish a magazine and produce this podcast to explore and celebrate the risks people take in the process of creating things that are original and worthwhile. And we work with clients to help them define their purpose and tell their story. To learn more, visit www.frontier.is. First Things First is recorded in Toronto and Vancouver at the Design Thinkers Conference, organized by our founding partners at RGD, the Association of Registered Graphic Designers, who represent over 3,800 design practitioners, including firm owners, freelancers, managers, educators, and students. Through RGD, Canadian designers exchange ideas, educate and inspire, set professional standards, and build a strong, supportive community dedicated to advocating for the value of design.